and welcome to episode 5 of Roaming Theater Collaborative's Shelter in Play. On this episode, we sit down with Courtney Seil and read her short play, Compulsion. Courtney Seil is a New York-based director and writer who premiered her first full-length play, Revolution, this past February. Courtney's past work includes directing Something Unknown for the Strawberry One-Act Festival, assistant directing Aftershocks in New York Winterfest, directing No Exit and Laughing Wild with her company, Red Leather Theater, directing The Pillow Man and This Is Our Youth at University of Puget Sound, dramaturging Mr. Burns, a post-electric play, and stage managing for New York Winterfest and the Strawberry Theater Festival. We're very excited to have Courtney on the show with us this week. So without further ado, we present to you... Compulsion by Courtney Sile, featuring Aaron Schultz Beaver and Stephanie Cambra. Scene one, a therapist's office. It's sparse, not much to give away the life of Jean, a young therapist. She sits with a pad of paper in her hand. Across from her is Alex, nervously bouncing her leg or biting her nails. I've created this pattern of self-loathing that I can't seem to escape from. I don't even know if I want to at this point because at least it's familiar. What's that saying? The devil you know? Anyway, I don't know if I want to change at this point because what if I do change and then what? What if it gets worse? I guess you can't really know until you try, but it's the fear of the unknown that holds us back from even thinking about trying. We get used to patterns, get into, used to living in ways that feel comfortable because humans spent thousands of years evolving to find that comfort. And now, we wanna to try to change that to what? Be better humans, it's stupid. And do you think you maybe are this way because of something that happened in your childhood? I think my childhood just better prepared me for a world and society that doesn't care about you if you're dying in the street. No, I think I'm this way because it's easier to be honest with yourself than it is to try and say you're doing better than you were before. Because it's all lies. In the end, we all die, and then what? People might cry if they cared enough about you, but more than likely, they will soon forget you and move on with their lives, and then you'll be nothing but worm food. I see. And... Have you ever considered self-harming? No. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. And why is it that you've come to see me now? I, I didn't have a great relationship with my last therapist. I see. You knew that, right? Like, I'm sure he said something on the referral thingy. I did not know that. They tend to just give me patience these days. Oh. Oh. Yeah. He and I just didn't see eye to eye on everything. Do you write everything down? Just stuff that's interesting. Oh. Okay. So, how does this work? Do I just tell you about my childhood? Do you tell me I'm fucked up and then refill my prescription? The treatment is up to you. What you talk about is up to you. I can't force you to do anything you don't want. What are you taking now? I'm on Prozac for depression, and we tried clomipromine for the OCD, but I don't like how it made me feel, so I stopped taking it. And did you tell your last therapist you had stopped taking it? Alex shakes her head no. 
Great. Well, uh, we can start you on something else if that is a route you are interested in following. I was doing fine without it for a long time with just the Prozac. I mean, and we were even starting to wean me off of that, but something happened and now I'm worried I'm going to regress back. Okay. Okay. It's going to be okay. We, we can figure this out together. Let's, let's just start with some talking. What do you want to know? What did you do last weekend? What does that have to do with anything? Just curious. I went to a house party. With friends? Friends of friends? I don't have a ton of friends, but I know people. And were there drugs at this party? Yeah. It's a house party. Did you partake in any of these drugs? Did I partake? Yeah, I smoked some weed, drank some beer. And did you enjoy being there at the party? Not really. I couldn't stop thinking about what time I would be getting to bed and how much sleep I would be getting when I finally did get home because I had to work the next day. What time did you leave the party? Probably around 2 a.m. Did you leave alone? Yeah. And what time did you have work the next day? Not until 3 p.m. But your paranoia made you want to leave earlier than you actually wanted to? When were you first diagnosed with OCD? When I was 14. My parents got divorced when I was 12 and they thought going to a therapist would help me. And I guess in a weird way it did. And what treatments have you tried so far? Everything. Hmm. So I have to do this twice a week? That is what I recommend. I will see you again Thursday. 3 p.m.? 3 p.m. Scene two. Alex is alone in her bedroom. It is simply decorated. Nothing is out of place with the exception of some clothing. She paces around her bedroom, tapping her left fingers with her right index finger. She looks at the clock, 3.30 a.m. She sits on the bed and addresses the audience. There are fragments of our lives that we forget. Things that happen that we can't or don't or won't understand until they resurface years later. It's a destruction, an utter invasion of the brain unto itself. And when it appears seemingly out of nowhere, we collapse in on ourselves until there is nothing left but us and the pain that is so consuming, we forget to breathe. It is in the space that we allow ourselves to feel. Feel as though we've never felt before. Be as though we are awake for the first time in years. Live as though everything in our paths could either hurt us or help us through it. How do we cope with that? My therapist told me that. Said that sometimes things that we didn't even know happened to us can resurface and trigger a cascade of unwanted feelings and thoughts can create new triggers and bring back old habits. I didn't even know it had happened to me. I saw it in a dream a few weeks ago. I never remember my dreams, but I remembered this one. And every night I worry, will I have the dream again? Will it make me remember more? Part of me wants to, 
wants to see it again in detail and understand the mechanics of it, how it started, why it happened, how it continues to affect me now. Another part of me understands that the consequences of that are bigger than even I can understand. My therapist told me another interesting thing recently. In some strange accent, Alex mimics her therapist. Jean appears on stage in a spotlight, mouthing along to what Alex is saying. Sometimes, these things can resurface when everything is going great. Your primitive brain likes to remind itself that things can change at any moment. Jean exits as the lights dim on her. She doesn't actually sound like that, but in my head she's British. It's nice to know that maybe things were starting to go great that my life was finally starting to have a sense of order to it. But why would the human brain self-destruct like that? Friend enters into a spotlight. Instinct, maybe your brain is going back into survival mode. Maybe. I don't want to talk about it. You never want to talk about I it. I talk plenty to my therapist. Come on, Al, we're best friends. You know you can tell me anything. I know. Alex waves friend away as they exit. I didn't tell him the whole story. Just that some of my compulsions were starting to resurface. But he understood the subtext. I mean, I had thought that I had everything under control. But here we are on day three of me not being able to leave my house until exactly 8.07 a.m., which is why I am currently awake four hours early because what if I miss that time and then I won't be able to leave my house again until tomorrow and that would mean missing work and friends and life. I've been thinking a lot recently about death, about what happens when we die. Is there really a heaven or hell? And does everything really happen for a reason? Or is that just something humans say so they can justify their shitty, all the shitty stuff that happens every day? A hurricane has destroyed Puerto Rico, killing hundreds and leaving hundreds more without power. Well, everything happens for a no, reason. No, it doesn't. I go back and forth on the whole thing. It's nice to be optimistic enough to think that when we die, we still matter to another life or world or planet. But it's hard to believe in that stuff when you think about your eyeballs turning into worm food. My therapist told me I should try and be more positive. Not happy. Just positive. For every negative thought, try and have two positive ones. Someday I will die. But I'm alive right now. And I kind of liked my hair yesterday. Positive enough. Checks phone, sends a text. I've been seeing this girl. She's smart and funny and makes me laugh. But I wonder if I'm too broken for her or for anyone. We haven't been going out long, so she doesn't know about this. But she's going to have to know at some point, right? Even if they do go away, they could come back and what, was, what will she do? Freak out and leave? Or just stick around just to be nice but won't actually want to? Positives. Things are going well and she has a cute smile. Alex does some breathing exercises. 
She must know something is up with me, though, because I keep texting her at four in the morning while I wait for the sun to rise. I'll tell her this week. I should ask my therapist first. Jean appears in the spotlight again. It's good to share your life with others. Letting people in can help with the healing process. The healing process. What a weird thing to call it, the healing process. Healing wounds is a process. Healing cuts and bruises and broken limbs is a process. Healing thoughts is a chore that you have to do even though you don't want to. It's a bargain you make with yourself every day. If I can get out of bed and think nice things about my, my body, then maybe I won't run into traffic. Healing your inner dialogue is like negotiating with a moody toddler, promising treats and toys in exchange for good behavior. It doesn't feel like a process. You see results in a process. But like physical healing, mental healing takes time. Maybe a bit more practice and discipline, but time as well. You won't wake up the day after breaking your foot with a healed foot, so why expect to wake up with a healed brain? A broken foot hurts. It signals to my brain that it hurts and needs to be set or put up or something. My brain can't tell the difference between good days and bad days until it's too late. It feels useless to try and heal something you can't even describe. You're taking a broken foot and re-breaking it every time you doubt yourself. But it will heal. It just, it takes a little longer. You're running before you are able to even walk. Patience. Alex tries to shut out the voice of Jean, head in her hands. I'm only here to help. Jean disappears. Alex checks her phone. The sun has started to rise. I was fine for a long time. The longest ever since the compulsion started. Two years ago, I went without them, even though I had just moved to a new city, and even though my last girlfriend broke up with me over text. I was doing fine. I had, have, a great job. I get to be creative. I get to be with my friends, and then it's all threatened by my brain dredging up things from my past that I didn't even know happened. Why? Friend appears on stage. Maybe we could go away for a weekend, get out of the city and relax, reset, all that shit. Go away and do what? Whatever we want. We've got some free time for the first time ever. Let's use it and forget all our responsibilities for a few days. It could be just us or a few of us. I've tried that. Turning it off. We go out dancing on a Friday night, and I let the music fill my body. And I dance, even though I know I look ridiculous because I can't dance. I move through the crowds with my friends, and I drink my margarita or my vodka or whatever, and I sway to the thumping of a song I've never heard of. She dances for a moment, a smile on her face. The music stops abruptly. And suddenly panic sets in, and I feel my heart beating faster than it should, and I can't breathe, and I run out of the club and into the street and vomit from the alcohol and anxiety. I went back inside the club to find my friends, and instead I found her, sitting at the bar, playing with the little straw in her drink. I knew I was staring, but I couldn't help it. 
I walked up to order water. My breath probably smelled like vomit. Girlfriend enters and dances a little before sitting on the edge of the bed. Hi, I said. Hey. Are you alone? Nah, just waiting for some friends. Are you? My friends are on the dance floor. I'm Alex, by the way. Nice to meet you. You too. There's my friends. I'll see you around. Girlfriend grabs Alex's arm and writes her number. Girlfriend exits. When I was little, I remember falling in love for the first time. Everyone would think I couldn't be serious because I was in third grade, but I was so deeply in love with this girl in my class. And of course, it wasn't right for me to be in love with her because I was a girl. And inherently, I knew this, saw that it wasn't the correct person to love. But she's so pretty, I said. She has blue eyes. I'm a sucker for blue eyes. But I fell in love because it was innocent. And there was nothing wrong with falling in love. No one could tell me I couldn't, and that it was a hard and icky feeling, and that there would be all this weird shame surrounding it, because when you're a kid, you love unconditionally. No baggage, nothing holding you back from the other person, because you haven't learned to hold yourself back yet. I wish we could all love so innocently still. I fell in love with this girl, because she was my best friend in the whole world. We listened to Spice Girls and ate French fries and ice cream and watched movies we weren't supposed to because her mom didn't care what she watched. And there was one night when I was sleeping over at her house and she was asleep on her bed and I was on the floor next to her bed looking up at her and the moon was full and I could see the outline of her face in the moonlight and she glowed. It was unlike anything I had ever seen. And I knew in that moment that she was special, that she was more than my best friend, and that I wanted to marry her. Of course, we lost touch when I moved away a year later. But the feeling of seeing someone glow is something I've chased ever since. When you glow, you become unstoppable. You just know who you are and aren't scared to be that way. How do I compete with that? Childhood friend enters. They are in third grade. Will you marry me? No, silly. Boys marry girls. Girls can get married too. But not to other girls. She fades away like a memory. My therapist says a lot of my compulsions stem from repressing myself around my family. Jean re-enters. If you told them the truth, then you wouldn't feel the need to hide or push them away anymore. But what if they push me away instead? Isn't it easier to just keep it a secret until I have to tell them? And when would you have to tell them? When I'm in love or getting married or something. But at that point, wouldn't they be more upset that you didn't tell them? that you would deny them that whole side of your life. They wouldn't understand, or they won't accept me. They'd tell me I'm wrong, or that it's a phase, or that I'm doing it purposely to rebel against them, or, 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 or. When you open up yourself to everyone, 
You won't have to hide any part of you from anyone. Jean exits with a wave from Alex. Every time my dad calls and asks me how I'm doing, I just say, fine, or good, because I don't want him to think that he did something wrong, that he failed me in some way because he didn't. Other people did, but he didn't. He doesn't know, doesn't need to know that I can't remember most of my childhood because my brain has been keeping it under lock and key to protect me from myself, from the people who did horrible things to me. I don't even know what they look like. She checks her phone. The sun has risen. She sits in the light of it on her bed and stares out the window. Sometimes I wish I was a bird so I could just fly away from it all and start over. Feel the wind on my face as I float across the forests and lakes. Smell nothing but salty air and pine trees. I thought I was the brave one. I thought I could handle anything because nothing scared me and now everything scares me. Leaving the house scares me. Turning on the gas stove scares me. I haven't cooked in a week because of it. I just keep turning the knob back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, waiting for the explosion that won't come. Part of me probably yearns for death because death is finite. It's a known entity and it's better than living between a world of memories and dreams and fucking wishing I could decipher what was real and what wasn't. She goes to the window and looks down at the street below. She checks her phone again. Everyone's going to work or coming home from work. I'm stuck here like Rapunzel. No witch has trapped me here. I have isolated myself to protect others from me. From the perpetual cloud that hangs above my head and separates me from the rest of the people on the street. They can see it coming from a mile away. She opens the window, leans half her body out. Five stories separate, separate me from the concrete. Is that enough to kill me? Or would I just be in agonizing pain for the rest of my life? Physical pain is at least tangible. It is a known source, can be healed and worked on in a known process. She steps back, closing the window. I don't want to die. I never have. I can step back from the ledge and take stock of everything good in my life. Job. Friends. Girlfriend. Cat. Family. Nice apartment. Fun social life. I can see these things and remember that logically it wouldn't make sense for me to die because of the repercussions. Ugh, my therapist is going to have a field day with this. She checks her phone again. It's almost seven. Work starts in two hours and 24 minutes, giving me an hour to get ready and, and allow for an hour and 20 minutes of travel time. That may also allow for a quick stop at the coffee shop for a latte and muffin. Once at work, I can text my girlfriend good morning with a smiley face and emoji and maybe a heart. No, a heart is too much right now. But after I text her, I can text my best friend, tell him vague details about my feelings, and he will text me back something reassuring. Then I'll text my therapist in detail the time I woke up, the compulsions I had, me sticking my head out the window and looking down, and she'll say she wants to see me this afternoon at 3 p.m. sharp, because it's always 3 p.m. sharp. 
I'll ask to leave work early and my boss will comply because she kind of knows something about my life and because my therapist gave me a note to, give, to get me out of work early if needed. And then I'll get back on the train and go to therapy and sit and tell her all of this again because she will want to know in excruciating detail the reasoning behind all of this. And Jean do enters. you think you can make sense of all of this? And I'll nod my head and say, I think so. But inside my body is screaming, no. End of play. Hey, hi. Uh, welcome, Courtney. Hi. Thank you for joining us today. Of course. Uh, so this interview is going to be a little bit different than we normally do because we have two of our wonderful actresses here with us today. Uh, we have Steph Cambra and Aridan Schultz Beaver joining us. Welcome, welcome. Uh, so let's just start off right on the, uh, let's just start off with, uh, Courtney, what was your inspiration for this piece? Yeah, um, so it's kind of a weird mix of things. Um, I wanted to toy with the idea of writing a one woman show. Um, I got really obsessed with the show Fleabag for a minute, and then I saw a NT Live production of it here in New York City, did a screening of it. So I was really lucky that I got to see that. And I kind of got it in my head that I was like, oh, that seems like a fun format to write in. Um, I typically write short stories. I don't typically write scripts. Um, so this is like my second or third take writing scripts. Um, so yeah, my, this was my first inspiration. And then my second inspiration was um, just dealing with my own mental health issues, like anxiety. I have pretty bad social anxiety a lot of the time. So like social, like social distancing is great right now. I feel great. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, in this industry, you're always meeting new people and you, so you have to like mm -hmm. get over it at some point. Um, and so I just kind of took like an extreme dance on it, I guess, and wanted to like delve deep into like the psyche of a person and what she goes through on a day-to-day -day basis, like with the resurgence of OCD or anxiety or depression or any of that. Yeah, that really does. It does have the feeling of a one woman show, but the uh, added character for the therapist and for the friend really just does uh, help guide the show. Yeah, I felt that like because I was writing scenes for a book that I'm writing um, and this scene is not one that I decided to use in the book. I decided to use it for this instead. So the therapist scene was completely separate. And I was like, oh, what if I just merge them together? And then it gives the show a little more substance because otherwise it feels like a woman just rambling on stage for an hour and I, and I don't want that. Yeah, um, I, I loved the script. I, I really am drawn to scripts that try to show, stylize, portray characters that are struggling with their mental health. Um, mm -hmm. I would love to get um, Steph and uh, Aridin's thoughts on that as well. Um, I think they, they read very beautifully for this script. Yeah, I feel like I, um, I also have social anxiety, so I can, I can relate to that. Um, and uh, I, I feel like I learned a lot from, from this reading this script. I, 
um, I learned more about OCD because that was something that I, I didn't really know all that much about um, before. And I found it really valuable to, to understand more about, um, about, like, about, um, about OCD and, 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 and triggers, what triggers can be and. Mm. Steph? Um, so this script actually makes me think a lot about my, uh, my job as a teacher, because, uh, you know, you have a lot of different students who come in and out and working with them on a personal level of performance and individual performances and having to tell stories that really come to life. I've sometimes play the role of a therapist in them and I get to hear a lot about like their personal anxieties. I've had a lot of students who have struggles with bipolar disorder and OCD and mm -hmm. uh, standard, like not standard, but uh, medical anxiety and depression. Um, and uh, you get to see a different part of that and you can start to feel like what are their good days and what are their bad days. Um, I've had students who have come out of the closet to me and things like that. And it's really made wow. me realize over the past several years just how important it is to have a support system and the people that you know. So I think that the therapist is like that big grounding that people need. Um, I think everyone needs therapy at some point in their lives. Uh, I think it's just good for a lot of different reasons. Um, but then you also need the best friend and you know that you have those people who kind of ground you in the world as I think, I think that this script does a really great job of showcasing the importance and power of those relationships and how this could really be anyone's story, which is really great. Yeah, wow. Um, so Courtney, you said that you typically are, are writing short stories and um, stuff like that. How How was the transition between writing, you know, short stories with full of detail and whatnot to writing just 18 pages of dialogue <laughs> yeah um it was definitely harder with so the my first full-length show that i wrote which i'm was hoping to premiere this year and that's what i have now um that one was a lot harder because that one took me three years to like finagle through this one was a lot easier um i think because it is like i do love writing dialogue in my short stories like my stories tend to be mostly dialogue at some point and I think because I'm a director first, I come at it from like a weird directing perspective of like, I know what it looks like and I know that I can make it look like that. So in a sense, it's almost easy. You don't have to describe anything because we're going to see it eventually. And so it's just focusing on like how humans speak and really getting to play with like listening to how it sounds and yeah. how how the words feel in your mouth almost so it's it's a lot more fun in some senses and um harder in the fact that um i kind of just have to let it go at some point and i can't like nitpick it. <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely with going from uh short stories to uh plays you really have to trust a lot in the actors yeah uh it's really giving so much power away. Yeah. Yeah, because you're like, you, you build these characters in your head and you have like such an idea of who they are and what they look like. And when I write plays now, I try to keep them as blank as possible in my head mm -hmm. because I want anybody to be able to feel like they can fill that role and put their own interpretations onto it. Like I don't want to like 
bog it down with too many too many descriptors right that really like narrow it i guess right on mm -hmm. um well since this is a uh quarantine inspired podcast um we're all here talking because we can't talk to anybody else um <laughs> what's what have you and i open this to everybody uh what's everybody been doing uh during the social distancing, shelter in place stuff, uh, I open it up. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> I keep bouncing between. Um, I I just finished watching, rewatching all of the Marvel movies. Um, yeah, <laughs> I watched all of RuPaul's Drag Race, and I'm still watching the season that's on right now. Um, and then I've been working on the novel that I've been trying to write for like two years. Wow, so, great time to do it. Yeah, it's it's good and bad in the sense that like, I have all this time now, but also I can't focus on anything. Like oh, my brain. I know. No. <laughs> I know, I'm like shuffling like six different projects. Like I switch between them every like 30 minutes. <laughs> uh, There's also a little bit of bartering with yourself. You're like, okay, I can watch three episodes but I have to write for an hour afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and you write for two hours, then you can play two hours of video games, and then you'll feel better about yourself. Yeah. Um, Erin, what have you been doing during this time? I just finished my second year of grad school. So wow. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, so now I'm hoping to do more more writing things um, over over the next few months. Right on. And uh, I love that you mentioned Fleabag. That's one of my favorites. I got my brother to watch an episode with me uh, last night. So hoping to get him to watch more with me. In the it's future. a good one. <laughs> so good. Uh, Steph. Uh, so I am one of those people who pre-coronation uh, booked like every second of my schedule and like also booked every second multiple times. Uh, so in kind of my own true fashion, uh, I've been using this as like an opportunity to like knock out goals and accomplishments I've wanted and also like look in ways I can better myself. So I'm a teacher, so I've been teaching remotely, which is wild. Um, Kudos to you. It's going okay, we're almost done. And I've got one more assignment for my classes due this coming Sunday. Um, but I've also been learning how to play ukulele sort of, um, and I've been, writing my very first musical and writing three other oh. plays. Um, and then I'm just trying to like read a lot and I walk my dog a lot because <laughs> he demands it. Uh, he's pretty good at demanding that. Um, and then I'm just getting ready for this summer. I'm gonna teach three online classes this summer. Um, and I'm going to do some debate camps and training and I'm doing some diversity inclusion. Like, oh, and there's my walk signal. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, diversity, inclusion, like professional development stuff and all of that jazz and getting ready to move into a new house. So making lots of lists and bullet journaling, all of it. So I remember what I did. So you are staying way busier than I am. <laughs> Kudos to you. Uh, well, thank you, all of you, for um, sitting down with us today. Uh, this, this was a really fun read. Um, it was fun getting to do the read and the interview back to back today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank right you. On. Um, so thank you again. Uh, it was a pleasure, Courtney, Aridan, and Steph. Uh, take care.
Shelter in Play is a roaming theater collaborative production produced by Spencer Thompson and Lucas James Nelson. We'd like to give a special thank you to Courtney for joining us on this episode and to our wonderful cast, Stephanie and Aridin, for reading for us. To keep up with the latest news and goings-on at Roaming Theater, hit us up on Facebook or Instagram at Roaming Theater or at Roaming Theater Collaborative. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.